This is Guy Harris, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Guy Harris, and I typically introduce myself as the recovering engineer. And that's because uh, early in my career, I started down the path of studying chemical engineering, eventually become a submarine officer in the Navy, and spent a good part of the first 20 years of my career in leadership, uh, technical-type leadership positions, and uh, learned in that process that people issues were the bigger challenges I faced, much more so than the technical things that I've been trained in in college. And as a result, I started studying and developing expertise in things like conflict resolution, communication skills, those kind of things. Turned into a real passion for me and then turned into a business where now I help organizations uh, grow leaders, build leaders, uh, work through workplace conflict resolution issues, those sort of things. And most recently, I co-authored a book titled From Bud to Boss uh, with my friend and colleague, Kevin Eikenberry. And, and talk a little bit about what made it motivated you and Kevin to get together on that project. I, I know it began as a workshop, if, I, if I've got my facts straight, and then it's morphed into this book, which is you know, sort of a, a not more efficient way to spread the idea, but a great way to spread the idea additionally. But what, what started all of this? Well, it's, it's a great question. It started with, and we've got some really good marketing partners that had an idea for a workshop. They approached Kevin. Kevin and I have worked together on a number of projects over the years, uh, known Kevin for something like eight or nine years now. And um, we developed this workshop, the Bud to Boss workshop, because there's, it's not uncommon at all for someone to be working as a, a, an excellent technical person or an excellent doer of things in the organization. And because they're so good at getting things done, to find themselves becoming the supervisor or the manager of a a small part of the organization, only to find out that the skill set that gave them the opportunity to be the supervisor is totally not the skill set necessary to be the supervisor. And there's a void there in terms of understanding how to grow leadership and supervisory skills when you just kind of get thrust into it all of a sudden. So the workshop was born to fill that need. And as Kevin and I started traveling around uh, working with our clients who had us come on site to do training or do consulting work or coaching work, uh, leading the workshops, we started hearing all kinds of feedback about the value they were, people were getting out of the content we'd put into the workshop. And like you just said, became, we realized a more efficient way to get this type of message to a broader audience would be to publish a book. And then from the workshop grew the book. And now here we are. Uh, right on the verge of launching the book into the marketplace. And it's a very exciting thing going on right now. All right, absolutely. And I think you guys are, are extremely wise uh, to go after this um, subject. I mean, if I didn't, then we probably wouldn't be here talking <laughs> today. But uh, there's really not a lot of literature, a lot, a lot, a lot, not a lot of information out there about that switch. And, you know, I could, I could I cut my teeth in the sales industry, and I could go on rants for days about uh-huh wisdom or lack of wisdom of promoting your best salespeople to your managers. But regardless of that, there's still new challenges that that individual contributors face when they move into that management and and leadership position. But in Bud DeBoss, you talk a lot about them. Talk briefly about some of the challenges that those newly minted leaders will face. Well, one of the first things people are going to face is that um, they got the opportunity to become a supervisor because they're, as I said before, excellent at doing things 
and they're probably high-level performers and probably very motivated, very driven people. And most people in that transition place, as they make this change, um, are coming from this individual contributor where it's really about me and doing my work kind of perspective. And all of a sudden, their performance is determined by the by the work of other people. And in that transition, they, they face some, first of all, some things they have to confront themselves in terms of being able to delegate and turn work over to other people and trust other people to do that work. That's one transition. And another transition is in the relationships. And this, they're all really interconnected. Well, they get relationships with their former peers. Uh, some places will will move people when they move them to supervision in terms of putting them over a different organization, but it's not uncommon in many businesses to become the supervisor of the person you used to work with for the last two, three, four, five years. And so there's a, a change in the nature of the relationship with the former peers. And and then all of a sudden uh, you find yourself in a position of being on a peer status with people who used to be at your supervisor's level, even if they weren't your direct supervisor. Maybe they were a, a shift supervisor that was on a different shift from you or a, a department supervisor or a group supervisor that was in a, a department you used to have to work with, and so you related to them on a little bit more of a supervisory level. They were a supervisor and you were not kind of level, and now you're a peer to them. And then your supervisor, the uh, relationship with them changes. Maybe they're the person who used to be your supervisor and you got promoted because they got promoted, or... Uh, maybe they were a person who was two levels above you and your supervisor resigned or changed jobs, whatever, and you then backfilled that position. So you've moved up one level closer to somebody had two levels of relationship barrier with. And all of those dynamics are going on at the same time. And so some of those are some of the challenges that uh, people face as they move into this new role, a new place in an organization. And that's what we wrote the book about, and that's what we do the workshops about, is to, to give people some tools and skills to help address those transition issues. Well, and, and if, if I could, talk talk a little bit more about some of those. There's obviously a whole new skill set uh, yeah. that people need to learn when they learn management and leadership, and, and one that individual contributors may not have had the chance to develop. Um, what's the uh, sort of crash course of skills that new uh, new managers would need to learn? The crash course of skills are related around some communication strategies. So you know, one of the things that when you have to just work on your own, you don't always have to be as sensitive to how you communicate or how your communication impacts other people. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a leadership role and now people are looking at you in a different light. And so how you communicate uh, what it is you want done or delegate tasks, the way you communicate becomes much more significant. So developing communication skills. Um, you start moving into a place where you have to be concerned with the behaviors and performance and results of other people. So that opens up the whole arena of understanding how to influence change with other people. And so that you have to develop some skill set and some understanding of what the change process looks like, how you can coach people to change. And so there's a coaching component in there in terms of speaking with people about their performance and how to do that in a way that's as um, – productive and positive and powerful as possible, uh, you, you have to learn how to discipline people who maybe aren't performing appropriately, or you have to learn how to help somebody who's performing at an okay level perform maybe at a even higher level. They're okay, but you'd like to see better. So there's this coaching and change when it's connected to communication. There's uh, 
performance appraisal and uh, review skills you have to develop. There's delegation skills you have to develop. Um, and I think those, those are the big ones. And, but the, the list really is, as you said, it's, it's pretty quite, quite large in terms of the things you have to think about as you start working with, um, in, a, in a supervisory role. Conflict resolution, another one that just came to mind. Help people understand how to deal with conflict, how to personally deal with conflict, how to help two people who are in conflict. And it's just a whole huge basket of skills that people often just don't have because they haven't had the opportunity to learn them. Absolutely. And I, I'm actually amazed in, in reading through my uh, review copy of the book that you managed to put them all in a book because um, it's, a, it's quite a long list. But to me, uh, they seem to all sort of revolve around this idea of communication. Absolutely. And whether it's conflict resolution or communicating mm-hmm. objectives, um, it seems to all revolve around communication. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about what changes uh, in how these new leaders communicate with their team and with their now new superiors and how to respond to that change. That's a really good question. You hit on a key point, and, and this is a point we make in the book, is that a lot of this revolves around communication, how you communicate both up and down and across the chain. So some of the things to keep in mind are that um, I'll, I'll borrow a piece that we talk about the book. We we use a model of, of communication, model of behavior called the DISC model of communication that talks about how different people communicate. And so prior to becoming a supervisor, you pro- most people don't really have to be so concerned with their personal style of communication or how it impacts other people. And when you move into the supervisory role, because people are looking at you more closely, because people are more carefully considering your words when you speak, either in a meeting or in a delegation or in a coaching meeting, any of those kind of contexts, uh, because your supervisor now looks at you in a different way because of this leadership role, you have to be more concerned with the the words you use, the tone you use, the body language you use as you communicate, and what that impact will have on other people. And so um, one of the things that we focus on is is in teaching at least an overview of the DIS model is how do you adjust your style, how do you adjust your delivery so that it maximizes the probability that another person hears it and takes action on it. Um, and that's probably kind of the key point of developing better communication skills, being sensitive to what's going on is understanding that that the way you communicate as a supervisor impacts results. And so you have to start developing these skill sets to um, for the purpose of building relationships so that you can have better results as a supervisor. That's good. And there's a lot in uh, there's a lot in there to unpack as far as how, how yes. an individual communicates and then how those other superiors are. I, I want to give you two scenarios. Okay. And that is one how how can the, the leader who promoted this newly minted now this person's new supervisor, how can they help them deal with the change? And also, uh, what do you do if you are the peer that was all of a sudden, is now all of a sudden subordinate to this new person? Well, as a leader who promotes a person to leadership, I think it's important to realize that I've just asked this person to take on a role where they have no, they probably have no experience. That's most often the case I see. And so, when I promote somebody to a, a new position where they don't necessarily have the skill set, I have to be thinking about providing the support and resources to help them develop this skill set. So I, I go with an analogy sort of like um, I'll go back to my experience as a parent and um, talk about my kids. So um, I've got one daughter who's 15 years old. She's just got her, her driver's permit. 
and uh, we live in Indiana. It snows here. So we were going to a friend's house last weekend. There was snow on the road, and uh, my daughter wanted to drive, and I made the conscious decision to let her drive so that she could make some mistakes in the car on the snow with me in it rather than with me not in it at some point. And it was a little bit of a scary white-knuckle ride, but it was consciously done to create a scenario where she could make mistakes in a relatively safe environment where I was there to coach her through those mistakes rather than just to throw her out there at some point without me being around and have her make the mistakes without somebody to coach her through how to handle herself. So let's do the uh, come back to the, the workplace scenario. So if I'm a leader who's promoted someone, uh, I'm going to want to put them in positions where they can actually make some mistakes in terms of managing or uh, coaching an employee on a performance issue. And at the same time, I want to be there to work with that person and coach them through the, the inevitable mistakes they're going to make just because they haven't had the experience. I want to create a safe place for them to fail in little ways so they can learn to become a better leader in the interest of having the whole organization grow. So as the leader who's promoted somebody to leadership, I want to be looking for opportunities for them to learn and grow, fail in small, safe ways so that they don't later fail in big, potentially disastrous ways. And as the person who's following a new leader, I want to do the best I can to realize that this person has now been put in a position where they're probably not super comfortable. And I probably want to be keeping in mind to maybe cut them a little slack when they make those inevitable mistakes and and uh, work not to judge too harshly when they uh, fumble a little bit on handling some performance issue, because frankly, they've never done it before. And... Um, not to excuse poor performance, and at the same time, I want to find a way to be uh, open to working with them as they learn and grow. Again, in the interest in all of us performing at a higher, better level for all of us to succeed together. So there's learning opportunity, growth opportunity, and cutting people a little slack as they fumble their way through it a little bit. Those are some of the ideas that immediately come to mind in those two scenarios. You know, it's interesting that they both uh, seem to revolve around this idea of, of failure and learning through mm-hmm. failure and practice mm-hmm. uh, and getting feedback. Um, but I feel like we we probably don't, uh, at least in corporate America, maybe may different in, in other industries, but in, in general corporate life, we, we tend not to be as forgiving with failure, mm-hmm. uh, which is likely to our detriment. You, you agree? I absolutely agree. Um, and one of the things to look at, in, just in terms of learning theory and, and how people learn new skills, I, I would contend that there is nothing any of us does well today that we knew how to do the first time we did it. Nothing. And so if I want somebody to learn how to be a good coach or learn how to make a good call on a on a tricky business decision, I'm probably going to have to be prepared to let them have a little failure so they can learn at least not what not to do the next time. And um, the key, and here's the balance, is to allow safe levels of failure instead of fatal levels of failure. So um, an analogy that would come to mind is, let's say I'm a a leader trying to drive a a process change or a procedure change of some kind. Well, if it's a safety issue where somebody's going to get killed if they don't do well, then I have absolutely no room for failure. We will do it this way, and it'll be probably very directive and, and maybe even apply some punitive measures if you don't follow the guidelines in the interest of safety. If it's a, a more subtle issue, more um, 
like a judgment call issue. Nobody's going to get killed. The business isn't going to be paralyzed because this decision's made. I'm probably going to want to let the trust. I'm probably going to want to trust the person to make the decision, even if I think they might make the wrong decision, so that they can learn how to make a better decision. Yeah, and and uh, not to not to destroy my credibility by quoting the eminent leadership researcher uh, Tony Robbins, uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in the statement that anything worth doing is is worth doing poorly until you can sure. figure out how to do it right. Uh, sure. But I think you you um, you bring up a good a good point about their finding the balance. And as as the the leader who just uh, minted the new leader mm-hmm. uh, becomes important to stay stay on them and, and watch and be able to figure out what are the mistakes we can afford to make because they're learning opportunities and what are the ones we can't. Uh, too often, though, I think we run the risk of playing it too safe and just saying uh, we can't afford to make any mistakes. I think that's a fair statement. So I'll go back to my example, my driving with my daughter. Um, as she was hitting drifted snow across the road, she managed to break the car loose and get it just nearly sideways in the road, which was a little scary at the moment. Um, and at the same time, uh, I picked a route that she would drive that minimized the risk we would meet oncoming traffic. So I made some conscious choices about how we would get to where we were going, knowing that we might run into some problems. And I want to do, I, I can't guarantee there won't be a bad situation. I can do everything as the leader to try to uh, put some put some rails on it to hopefully make it a safe failure. And in this case, it was. Oh, that's very, very little traffic, and it was all okay. Well, that's good to hear. You had me. You had me worried there. I, I don't. I, I'm sure you wouldn't have brought up the analogy of something terrible that happened. So exactly. Exactly. Wouldn't have gone there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, but it's a great analogy for um, allowing space to fail and to fail often and have that learning ability that that creates the experiences that that uh, likely leaders will fall back on for the rest of their life as far as teaching moments. And mm-hmm. that. And as those newly minted leaders are failing. Um, they should likely pick up an interesting uh, an interesting guide for that, which is uh, from Bud to Boss. Um, but Guy, I want to talk a little bit about you for for a second. Okay, what are, sure. what are you reading now, or who are you reading now? Well, uh, at the moment, I've got two books going on. Uh, one by a guy named Stephen Pinker. I think the book's maybe eight or ten years old, called How the Mind Works. Um, one of the things that is important to me in terms of understanding leadership and communication and conflict resolution, those kind of things is to understand as best I can basically how people work and to structure my approaches and techniques and tactics based on working with human nature as opposed to against human nature. And so I I read all the time on human behavior studies and learning theory and how the brain works and emotional control and those types of things. current one is how the mind works. And I also like to learn from history. So I also have another book going at the same time, uh, which is about Cornelius Vanderbilt, titled The First Tycoon. And so it's just learning about uh, how did Cornelius Vanderbilt become the transportation uh, tycoon that he was in the 1800s, and what are some life lessons, what are some experiences he had, those kind of things, to learn from those past experiences as best as possible. So those are the kind of things I'm reading at the moment. No, it's, an, it's an interesting duality, but I think it, uh, okay, yeah, it intrigues me because I find myself doing the same thing. And as you were talking, I, I think I may have figured out the rationale for it is that you, you learn these histories of uh, the quote-unquote great man. Of course, you know, the history of leadership theory will tell you that that theory itself is bunk. But you can still study them within the context of what you've learned about the science of how individuals work, how the mind works, 
how yeah. gentrification works, and that you, you have that framework to look through history on, which uh, I'm guilty of doing the same thing. Not, not with Cornelius Vanderbilt. My, my current fascination for a couple years now has been Milton Hershey, but similar, okay. similar tycoon, just once, once chocolate. Yeah, different industry, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and guy, I know I know you and Kevin are in the in the throes of the book launch. But uh, what's mm-hmm. next for you, or what's on the horizon for for you alone, or you both? Well, um, for for me personally, I continue to develop some um, opportunities to talk about conflict resolution, communication styles, the DISC model, particularly as as a model for how to frame how we communicate with other people, and understanding relationship dynamics and how to better work through that. And Kevin and I together are we're talking about future book projects. Um, Working with Kevin and a good friend of mine, uh, Carl Smith, we developed the Ultimate Communicator Training Camp, again, through the same marketing partners that helped us develop the Bud to Boss Workshop. So we're doing communications training camps uh, with really the intent to help more people on as big a scale as possible develop their personal skills at communication, leadership, resolving conflict um, with the intent to help people have better relationships, uh, be more productive in business, those kind of things, and just help people grow those skills and uh, hopefully have a positive impact on, on the people that we interact with. Now, I would, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, is, is there a From Boss to Bud workshop or book on the horizon for, for those leaders who have been demoted? Uh, no, we haven't talked about that. Um, we have talked about uh, doing some work with uh, people who have, reached very high levels of uh, business and trying to understand what their first experiences were in leadership, those kind of things. So again, continuing the idea, keep learning is based on research and theory and statistical evaluation as a framework, like you said, and then try to understand personal experience and how those two, how those, how the theory bridges to the practical and learn as many lessons as we can that we can then extrapolate for other people to draw lessons from. Yeah, no, it sounds like some exciting stuff and some stuff that we're we're definitely going to keep tabs on. In the meantime, for those people who are, are not uh, great business leaders but who are staring down the barrel of their very first leadership experience, uh, we're definitely going to encourage them to check out From Bud to Boss. Guy, thanks so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Great to be with you today, David. <laughs> 